Warning, what you're about to listen to contains spoilers for season one and two of Insatiable. So if you haven't watched those, go binge them, come back here, and we'll help you digest it. What's up, guys? My name is Debbie, and today I have the privilege of sitting in the San Fernando Valley and speaking with my co-star on Insatiable and America's beloved teen boyfriend, Michael Provost. He plays Brick Armstrong, Patty's boyfriend, and then ex-boyfriend, and Bob's son in Insatiable, which is not even the sort of stickiest thing about our show. And he's here today to talk to you a little bit more about himself. So here we go. grateful for communication. I had a talk with a really good friend who just kind of unraveled some knots in my head. And it's a big part of being a human. Like you have to have other people to let you know that you're not crazy. All right. So season two, we had a lot of fun season one. We went to all the places. Did all the things. Did all the things. So I think it's like actually pretty important to note that you s- moved to LA from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And then you and I auditioned together for this CW pilot called Insatiable. Mm-hmm. And then we booked it. And then you moved back to Atlanta to shoot it. Yeah. 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 And everyone that I worked with back in Atlanta told me that that's how it would happen. Yeah. They said, you're going to go to LA to be an LA actor and you will work only in Atlanta. And that seems to be the case so far. But I love my city. Um, well, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's you talk, talk about, about we that. Met, yeah. Our origin story. So we auditioned together uh, for Patty and Brick, which went out means— for Brick. They said they went a different direction, mm-hmm. which was weird. But. Yeah. Uh, she was there for my first audition, and I, I was like— I was like, like I well, grew up wrestling. Like, I've, there's no better man for this than me. But, yeah, they I were just, casting both of us. I just remember sweating bullets <laughs> yes. and people whispering about— whoever the hell you were. And I was like, all right, let's like start IMBD proing people, <laughs> like looking at the check-in sheet. And then I was like, oh, that's where I know you from. Um, <laughs> was it Sweet Life? Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in the Sweet Life range. There were four bricks and three patties. Yeah. One of them, the bricks looked a lot like Kevin Spacey, like a, yeah. no, wait, no, uh, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. He actually. It would be kind of scary if he looked like Kevin Spacey. Yeah, true. Yeah, there was like a, a whole young Kevin Bacon there, which was crazy actually because, you know, it's a CW show in the pilot, right? And so mm. I went in and I was like, this is, there's a type of girl that's a CW girl and that's not really me. Oh. I went in and there were those girls and really sweet, lovely girls who I ended up like stalking on Instagram and like whatever. The boys, I felt like was a larger range because you were, I think, the youngest and then the Kevin Bacon type. He was in his 30s. Yeah. He read CW18, as, yep. we'll, as we'll say. But I, I think, like, it was interesting because I was kind of in there and I was like, oh, cool. They're putting us together. Like, I thought we were going to chem read together. Like, I was like, oh, they're, like, really putting us together based off of who else is here. And so, yeah, um, some point in the process, pretty pretty early into the process, second audition or something, I met Lauren. And I went in and I was just like, hey, um, I know that I'm about to, you guys are about to go present me as one of your top three options <laughs> um, to 
all of the kind of bigger decision makers. But I just want to like, before this kind of goes any further, just because I like I have 30 minutes left in my meter. So like I'll either feed it <laughs> or I can just peace out. But I was just like this kind of subject matter about dysmorphia, programming to feel like you need to achieve this unreachable standard. It's a constant moving target, the places that that can take your mind. I was like, this is something that like I feel really sensitive about. And I just feel like I read the script and I know that there are funny moments. That's how I started it. I came in and I was like, listen, I read the script and I think there are really funny moments. And Lauren went, yeah, it's a comedy. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, I just read this very self-importantly. I just read it like very seriously. But I was like, okay, well, it's a comedy. That's great. I And you're so allowed to do that. But like all comedy, once you meet who's on stage or who's writing it, as long as they know where their social norm is, then it suddenly becomes a part of storytelling. Yeah. And also, but like in that conversation, I was just like, are we going to handle this part sensitively? Like, I don't no pageants, um, but I know that those girls have seen themselves misrepresented in media and so many other people have. And I want to make sure that this is like handled sensitively. And she told me this was my story. This was like a thing that happened to me and the anger that I found within myself at the differentiation and treatment of me based off of how my body looked mm. made me angry. And I thought about like, what would it be like to step into that rage? And that kind of cautionary tale, like knowing that tone and knowing how she and I both cried. I like talked to her about, mm. I had never talked to anyone about my disorder, like, but I like talked to her in front of five people or whatever about it. And we both cried and talked about it. And in that moment, I was just like, oh, Lauren is doing this with intentionality and thoughtfulness. And so mm. there might be, because it's so camp, it might come across feeling wild and broad. And of course, like haters will say it's reckless, but Everything is so thoughtful. It's all by design. Mm -hmm. So obviously Lauren is so thoughtful and we got to like really have a lot of fun. I think she was really thoughtful with the choosing of you, was really mm -hmm. thoughtful as well. I just think season two feels like we all got to know each other. We all fell in love. Lauren got to know us, fell in love with us. We saw what worked and then we got to really step into those things. Yeah. And back to the uh, the audition sequence. On my side of it, I came in for the uh, the director-writer session before my audition, and I got none of that. Like, I I just had Andy sitting across from me going, uh, Michael, this is a comedy, so it's just got to be faster. Yeah. you got to hit those beats. And, I like, that was what I got before. And, the, when, and if you haven't interacted with Andy Fleming, Andy Fleming is one of my favorite people in the world and a dear friend, but also when you first meet him, he can be— so intimidating. I mean, even he's, for the first year and like a half that I knew six him. foot something, always in cowboy boots. He's quiet. And so you think, oh, he hates me. But really, he's just smart and quiet. Like, <laughs> he doesn't hate you. Unless he does. And he's a damn good director. He's um, so good. He's so smart. He's so intuitive and human. Like, any amount of, like, heartbeat and humanity plus, like, absurd sense of humor that comes from him and Lauren kind of just throwing off of each other. They, yeah, they complement each other. And they're very so protective. Well. The scenes where you and I had to be shirtless or naked, mm -hmm. they were so protective of us and making sure the intimacy was safe and, and that every person had like And an that advocate. we were comfortable, yeah. yeah. And then the phone call I got, I was driving to a, um, a do-it-yourself car wash and Post Malone's Congratulations was playing on the radio. Whoa. Um, and I got a call... And they were just like, Mike, they want you to be a part of it. And I was like, oh, my God. 
I'm on the way to wash my car with quarters. Right. <laughs> like, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Oh, my God. So, obviously, throughout the course of season one, we saw a lot of growth in both of our characters. You know, we didn't see as much growth as we would like in Patty in terms of, like, she didn't really address some of her damage on the inside and some of her, like, weird things on the inside. Mm -hmm. I think Brick made a little bit more headway. Like, you made, you made a little bit more motion to kind of look at himself and figure it out. Obviously, like, we figured out a lot in Brick and Patty's relationship, which was very cool. Patty had never had a boyfriend or had much experience dating. Um, Brick was trying to figure out how to date someone who wasn't Magnolia, mm -hmm. who wasn't like kind of this perfect person and who was so visibly flawed and he figured it out. And then he went through a lot with his dad and his mom and their relationship and their personal identity separately and together and his identity. And then season two, we get to step into that more. At the jump, I mean, reading the pilot, it was extremely apparent how fucked up his home life was. Yeah. I mean, his dad is obviously denying his sexuality. His mother comes from a place of putting on an air of having kind of an identity issue with rejecting who she really is. That opening scene when we first get to see Brick for season two, he discovers that Nani's gay. And that is like so such good. a, oh, what? Dude, <laughs> your face, your reaction was so, I think it was so great because I think in the same sense that when you find out about your dad being gay and you say like, okay, I don't care who it is. It's not my mom. Like the whole thing is, is just that you're stepping out. I don't know exactly what the conversation was. I'm sure you have better recollection, but it was less about, wow, there's this whole identity part of you that we don't know about that you've been denying that has like been really confusing, but it literally is more about, this is not what I wrapped my head around in terms of my family dynamic. My family dynamic was two parents that were married and now it's not that. And with the nani of it all, similarly, Brick wasn't weirded out about anything that had to do with sexuality or even her being in love with his ex-girlfriend. He mostly seemed weirded out just that he didn't know that about his friend. And I think that's the beauty of Brick. He is like a simple boy. Yep. He's so straightforward. He's really, which is like theoretically a person that Patty should be able to communicate with is someone that there is not all of these layers of anxiety and things to navigate and all of these things and this tricky mental landscape that it might be because she has enough of that on her own. Like mm. she just needs a sounding board. And but the problems for her just keep getting escalating and escalating and escalating. And how, how could she on top of everything else handle having a boyfriend? Like, no. Oh my God, no. In terms of dating and dating in high school and stuff, mm. um, as they find their relationship and as they navigate their relationship— Patty's obviously really inexperienced and young and excited, but I was so grateful to see the portrayal of a boy who's like a hot, great, desirable boy and who's painted that way. And is like, do you want this? Are you into this? Are you not into this? Like, how do you feel? Like, okay, great. And just allows that to kind of move. It was so cool and refreshing to see. And it didn't feel like preachy. It didn't feel like it was intentional. It literally felt to me like probably how you are in a relationship. You have to respect another person's body. You you just have to. I know for Brick, he's craving an honest communication with whoever, whether it's his parents, Patty, Magnolia. I think he gets it the most from Magnolia in terms of why nothing came about between him and Patty this season. I think it really came from, she just wasn't telling him what was going on and he, yeah. it could clearly come through. And even if it was the sex, all it would have taken was for her to say something along the lines of like, 
I just need you to wait. I'm doing my head right now. I don't want to do this right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready for this. Yeah. And I, I think we see it very early in which I come in and you have just eaten pastries out of a wastebasket mm -hmm. that you dumped hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. And I ask, are you okay? And you say, you're fine. Now, that's one. Now that's that, the end of one. In that moment, there is Brick extending trust to Patty asking, are you okay? Is there something I can do? Now, that's the question he should have asked because there is a big difference between asking, are you okay? And what do you need? How yeah. can I help? Yeah. Um, it's easy for people to, if someone says, are you okay? It's easy for people to be like, I guess that I have to be because the only thing that it's just easier for you, like you want me to tell you I'm okay. Hey, mm -hmm. how you doing? Good. You? Good. Like it's so much of our relationship is just like, keep it easy. Don't burden people with how I'm really feeling. And I think that's what Brick is craving the opposite of. Yeah. What do you think about the, uh, the interesting kind of flip of the traditional male gaze in which we think like in cinema and literature, like this trope, we sexualize women. We see women as sexual objects. And I think in our show, it tends to be the men that we sexualize. Obviously, you have been asked to take your shirt off a lot and like run shirtless. But then, of course, in like a meta thing, we acknowledge it and we put it on YouTube and we acknowledge like we're not making this up. Like this is happening because this is also a thing. And mm -hmm. like what was your relationship with that like? My view on it socially is that kind of culture that outlook on life is heinous it's ugly you are missing so much of a person if your first thought is sexual i mean we we are so much more than that and i do think that sex sex is a beautiful outlet to get to know someone very quickly but it is a flash in a pan it can be very fleeting and i think it's something that a lot of young people struggle with just because of pornography and this idea that, you know, I I am 16 years old. I should be having sex with someone because I am in high school. And it's like, right. no, like you. And you, you hear Patty say that, mm -hmm. essentially. It's vicious, especially when your peers begin being braggadocious about it, which is like the last thing that anybody should be doing. Like, Yeah, and a generation of men who are raised by accessibility to porn, not just men, people, mm -hmm. but particularly men who are raised by the imagery in porn and the shape of porn, which is kind of a bit more of a control thing and pretty domineering. Yeah. And I read an article one time, which was just, just discussing that romance novels and rom-com movies are kind of like emotional porn for women. So the way in which you just say, okay, I'm going to sit here and then a man is going to come in and basically do all of the work and then I will be happy and that is what they exist for. That I think on the flip side, maybe it manifests itself in a more physical way in terms of how straight men, men see, see women. women. Yeah. Ted, that's a great point. Again, generalizations because everyone's different and there are people who do wake up and they go, you know what, I'm going to live with clear eyes today. I'm going to be aware that my actions have an effect on others. Life is outside of me. Life is not me. And I should respect. I mean, that that's what everyone deserves is respect at some level. Now, if their actions prove otherwise, then get the hell away from that person. Um, yeah. I mean, I think what is an interesting thing that has come up in all of these topics is essentially like communication, consent, sex, identity, relationships, your parents, all of these things hinge in a really healthy way on collaboration. 
if you're just doing it based off of you, if you're having a conversation, you're not listening and you're just saying what you want to have communicated, you're not collaborating. If you're having any physical dynamic or relationship with someone where you're just doing what you want or thinking about it in terms of yourself and not playing off of what the conversation is with another person, if in a relationship, this thing that you just naturally do and that is a thing that the other person doesn't respond well to, all of these things without respect can be really unhealthy. Or if if you're not brave enough to look up and tell the person that, hey, I, I'm not responding well to this. It is either because of A, B, or C, or it's because I don't know. But mm. if our main problem is communication, that is such a small problem. That can be fixed. That, that can be untangled, and you can sit down and, and talk it out. Um, but that does have to come from a place of knowing yourself, knowing how you actually feel before being able to communicate it. If, mm-hmm. if it's and, never occurred to you that you could disagree with someone or that— or that someone else might be okay if you disagree with them. Mm. I mean, that's a big trust thing to allow yourself to have a disagreement with someone um, and to know that that person is still going to be okay with you. I mean, as long as... Like you said, it's a respect thing. As long as you're respecting each other, you will be fine. And it, it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, and I'm still figuring that out. Nobody's perfect, like we were talking about earlier. I think you're pretty great, Michael Provost. Deb, thank you. Um, I will say that people talk about you behind your back a lot. Oh, sure. You know, Arden, Kimmy, Kelowna. I've been mm. talking with these women. And it keeps coming up that you're like an unbelievable person. Like you just, like someone someone was like, who does that? Like who wakes up every day and decides like, how am I going to be a better person today? And it's true. And I think it is a testament in like, you're a really good and loyal friend. You're a studied actor. You take your craft seriously. You're really good to the people around you. It's why, I mean, it breeds success in your life, I think, because it, it breeds successful communication. It breeds successful relationships. What I think makes you so cool is who you are and the way that you treat people and the way that you respect people and really shows up. And it's funny to actually know you and know who you are and then watch Britt go on this journey of how to be a good guy and how to be a good guy in relation to different girls and how to kind of rectify some mistakes he's made and maybe he messed up and that whole thing. I mean, no character is perfect in this show, certainly by any stretch, but <laughs> you seem to be the person who is at least trying the hardest. I feel like you're trying. Yeah, I mean, same same within life. Um, nobody is perfect. I'm certainly not. Brick, he strives for it. I think it's the only way he feels like his parents accept him is if if he has his life in order, then they don't have to worry about having theirs. And I think that's why the the college situation is pretty damn big. I mean, he thought that wrestling was going to be his ticket, his ticket out, and it's not. And I think he starts to kind of feel that pressure of, I might be stuck here. And he has, I mean, a mom who is, she is an entrepreneur in in her own Tampazzle way. Um, (laughs) And she definitely lifts him up. And so does his dad. I mean, Bob Bob is the first one to look at Brick and be like, hey, you don't have to go to school. And yeah. he wants, he does try to keep showing up for him. He doesn't know how to do it. They both really want to show up for him. Yeah. Do you think that the, the kind of like trying to keep things stable and maybe feeling a pressure to be perfectionistic, do you think that's why he and Magnolia work so well? Because they do have yeah. that to connect over? Yeah, they both have that in common. And I would say they, you know, they see a lot of each other in that. Um, and that, you know, kind of brings them together. When people ask, like, what is it like 
you know, working on this set, the word that comes to mind is just inspiring. I mean, I, I watched you and I watched Dallas um, and even Chris this year with how much he shadowed. It's like those hours are very inspiring to a young actor to have like just gotten to Hollywood and to like really begin to like figure it out and see what goes on and how much work actually goes into like leading a show mm. has been very inspiring. Yeah, I mean, it's been cool, I think, over the course of season two. Season one felt like it was, you know, a lot of me in Dallas. Um, season two, we got to really step into a lot of different directions. Yeah, you guys, kind of you guys split off this season. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. We got to really, it felt more ensemble which was what I always thought the show was. And then pretty much when the marketing happened for season one, I was like, oh, wow. I, I really thought it was friends. Like, I really thought it was mm. just like this kind of arrested development. Like, we're tracking different storylines and some things are coming together. Like, and, Especially um, with how the pilot was written. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the same vibe that I got when we were auditioning. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you something. What do you get? In light of all of this conversation, what are you grateful for? It's the big one. It's, it's the big L word. It's love. It's it's the fact that people are waking up and choosing, choosing something other than hate. I'm inspired by um, the messages that went out at the start of the school year with all these people reminding kids to like, hey, be kind to each other. Um, and then seeing the videos that have surfaced because of that. Mm. Um, I mean, that that is the change that we need. It's the cliches, but it's the one. Um, yeah. It kind know. of governs all of all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and discipline. I'm, I'm figuring out what discipline means to me. And that in itself has been a journey. So I'm, I'm thankful for discipline. Nice. Yeah. I love that. And you? This one's a good one. I'm thankful that I have like a healthy relationship with discipline now and understanding the difference between discipline as punishment and discipline as self-love, mm, which is yeah. like, I know zooming out that this is what I want. So I'm going to like structure my life in a way where I follow this thing. And then that way, when I get in the moment, if I decide that That's I already what I know what I want, yeah, like yeah. then there you go. I'm really grateful for love. I'm grateful I guess for the internet and communication, because we can see these videos of people being special. We can spread messages of love. We can have a conversation in my garage and share it with a bunch of people who got us renewed and watched the show and liked it and are watching our cautionary tales. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm definitely grateful for beverages. I have three beverages right now. <laughs> oh, hallelujah for beverages. Hallelujah. Mm. I love you, Michael Provost. Love you, David. Michael and I talked a lot about love and the importance of respect in relationships, especially when you're young and you're dating and you're figuring things out like Brick and Patty. There's a lot where you might not have a reference point. You might not know what is normal. A resource that I love and think is super wonderful is Love is Respect. They're the ultimate resource to empower youth and they help prevent and end dating abuse. So there are some warning signs of dating abuse that you might not know to flag, like checking your cell phone or email without permission, that's digital abuse, explosive temper, extreme jealousy, isolating you from family and friends, physically hurting you, possessiveness, pressuring you to have sex, constantly putting you down. These are warning signs that your relationship might not be going in the right direction. Love is Respect is a project of the National Domestic Violence Hotline, so they offer information and additional resources at loveisrespect.org and also support and advocacy to those involved in an abusive relationship through text, chat, or on the phone. So you can chat at their website or you can text LOVEIS to 22522. 
And you can call them 1-866-331-9474. So they're available 24 hours a day. They're super confidential. They provide interpretation services for over 200 languages. So if you or someone you love is involved in something and you don't know if it's normal, healthy, or right, that is a great resource for you to check in with and make sure everything is moving in a healthy direction. I think you are so deserving of love and a really, really healthy love that makes you better and makes better the people around you. Love you very much. Talk to you soon.